At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to The Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things in the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota. And today I have an old friend as a guest. Old is a moniker, though, because I think when I met you, I'm talking with Amanda Brinkman today, who is the Chief Brand and Communications Officer for Deluxe Corporation and host of the Small Business Revolution. Amanda, how old do you think you were when I first met you? Were you like 22? I think that's right. Yeah, because yeah, we were we worked together on uh, um, the Advertising Federation of the Twin Cities, which makes it sound like Starship Enterprise or something, <laughs> um, and worked on uh, the board there. And I remember very distinctly the first time I met you, just feeling like, wow, this woman is so on fire. Like, you just had a certain swagger about you. You had a certain confidence. I could tell you really knew your chops when it came to marketing. And it's been so fun to watch your career. And here you are, the host of the Small Business Revolution. Well, likewise. I mean, I learned so much from you. I remember watching you in board meetings when I was just honored to have been elected onto the board and then rose through the ranks and became your vice president the year you were the president. But I remember watching you in board meetings and just like... Loving your kind of like no nonsense, like tell it like it is, yeah. respectfully, but like calling stuff on the table. I think as a Minnesota business community, sometimes we can suffer from not saying exactly what's going on in yeah. our room. And you really cut through that. But again, with such respect to um, those you were speaking with. And it was just, I, I learned a lot about just kind of how to get to the heart of a matter from you. And so. Thank you. Yeah. And we will get to the heart of the matter. So. <laughs> I, you're a little bit different guest because, yes, you guys are makers over at Deluxe. You started, I mean, it's a 100-year-old company and started in 1915, and you, in 2015, had your 100-year anniversary. And tell me about how you and your team ideated this whole small business revolution and why you're the person to lead the revolution. So when I joined uh, Deluxe uh, in 2014, Yes, we were on the eve of our 100th anniversary, but um, we're really known for our legacy product, which is which is checks. Um, um, but the decline of checks has been predicted for over 20 years. Sure. And so for a long time, we've been evolving right alongside our customers. Um, and now we help them with a whole host of other things, um, namely one of our growth products besides fintech in the financial services space is helping small businesses with their marketing piece. Yet nobody really knew us for that. Over the past like 10 years, we've been building out those services and acquiring businesses um, in order to now offer small businesses a whole suite of marketing services products. But when I joined the company, the big challenge was, okay, how do you turn around a 100-year-old brand that's known for a legacy product and decline? We could not afford to use our anniversary to just talk about our legacy. We had to use it as a launch pad to talk about our future. Um, 
uh, we had less than 1% brand awareness amongst small businesses. Yeah. Like, crazy. I mean, when you think about it, most people, even if they knew Deluxe, they said, oh, Deluxe checks. Yep. And they only know us through because of the red box, because it was, a you know, through the bank type of relationship. So less than 1% uh, brand awareness. We were being dramatically outspent by our competitors. So, you know, Vistaprint and Constant Contact and GoDaddy, these guys are spending giants. Um, and so they were outspending us about 14 to 1. We weren't prepared to invest a lot in brand awareness. So for me, I just knew right away, whatever I did, whatever we did, we had to really be scrappy. We were going to have to do something that stretched our spend and reached more people than we could afford to reach. Um, whenever you're kind of considering what your next marketing or ad campaign is, it's challenging enough to figure out how you're going to, you know, uh, not only identify your target, but reach them with a, a message that matters to them. But it's even harder to know how to do that um, when you don't even have enough money to be competitive and, and reach that audience. So we right. really had to figure out something that was going to stretch our spend. Um, and uh, Do so you remember f- the minute you thought of the idea? I or do. Do, Tell me about that. Yeah, okay. So I um, love uh, to spend time with customers whenever I started a new company, whatever the industry, financial services, healthcare, all the different industries I've been in. Every time I start somewhere new, I love to go out and just spend time with them. Just It's my own like ethnographic research. I just follow them around. I see what their days are like. I just feel like there's no better way to figure out how you connect with the customer base yep. than to understand who they are, how they make decisions. And so I was out meeting with these small businesses that we so desperately wanted to you know, be in front of. And um, I was just so moved by their stories and why they started their business. What was challenging about running their business, what they were learning about running their business. I heard them talk about, you know, working 80 hours a week and feeling guilty that they weren't home with their kids more. But I would look over their shoulders and see their kids helping work in the back and realize they are learning incredible work ethic from you. Like there's a bigger right. story here. And so for me, I just felt like storytelling was going to be the way that we could reach more people. And I also felt like documentary style was a really important way to tell those stories because that cinematic quality would be part of the message. And so that's when the small business revolution was born. So we launched it in our hundredth year and we told the stories of a hundred small businesses. And we did those through films and through photo essays and my vision from the very beginning was really truly to create a movement. Um, there's no better way to reach an audience and to do something good for them. And there's no better purpose than to do something good for the people that you serve every day. And so the one thing small businesses really need is people to come in and support them. And so we just felt like instead of advertising at small businesses, what if we stood alongside them and inspired people to support them by telling these stories? Because when you hear a small business owner's story, you want to support them. Yeah. So what was it? Is there something that you find you've you've told a lot of stories now? You've been doing this for three years. It's now on Hulu in season three. Is there something that's like common or a handful of things that are common with a lot of small business owners? The two things we see small businesses struggle with most are either not knowing their numbers or what the numbers are telling them. And then not understanding how to use marketing and specifically how to use marketing to grow their business. And part of what we spend a lot of our time doing is just affirming the small businesses that we work with that you're not alone in this. Everyone mm-hmm. struggles with these two things because when you think about it, you started your bakery because you love to make croissants and you started your daycare center because you love, you know, what education can do at a young age for children. Or you started your auto mechanic shop because you're great with cars and, right. and that's a skill set. You don't start it because you can't wait to build your website or to figure out what the hell SEO is or manage Twitter. And you don't do it because you can't wait to do your annual taxes. I, mean, I don't think anyone starts it. No. Because they can't wait to know that. But if you don't know your numbers, you have a hard time making informed decisions about your business. 
And if you don't know how to make sure that you're showing up big online and showing up well online when people are looking for your kind of business, your business will suffer on both of those fronts. I don't mean to sound um, like numbers aren't important either, because I do think that that is a critical component. And so many people sit in the chair across from me and they don't necessarily know their cost of goods. They don't necessarily know how they're making the money that they're making. They just know they're selling products. But that's like something that you can learn. You do the, you buckle down, you learn the numbers, you learn what the math is, you get some benchmarks, and that's sort of that. With marketing, it's like a totally moving target all the time. It's changing social media in particular based on the algorithms. And as fast as you can kind of master a piece of it, it changes and it becomes different and things aren't trendy anymore. So how do you, like Deluxe is based in printing, based in that um, manufacturing of something. Now you're changing that lexicon to be thought leadership. How do you stay up on all those trends? And how do you convey that to these small business marketers that, I mean, honestly, social media sometimes can be a total full-time job. Oh, absolutely. And you're you're very much right about how it is constantly shifting um, so, you know, part of what we, when we decided years ago that we, you know, we weren't basing our, our growth any longer on, on checks. Checks are still a very important part of our business, a, a very important core of it. Um, but when we decided what else could we do to kind of grow and transform our own business? And one of the things we looked at is we've been working with small businesses all these years. We know small businesses, we know their struggles, we know how they, how to help them operate their business. And now we help them on, on the marketing side. And so, but that doesn't mean that just because you know small businesses, you suddenly know these skills. So it's a very insightful question. For us, it was about bringing the right talent to the table. And the reason that we love working with small businesses is because we can help with that piece of it so that they can get back to doing what they love. And there's other partners. I'm not here to advocate just for Deluxe. Sure. There's other partners. But one of the things we advise small businesses on the most is oftentimes they think they can't afford to market or hire someone to do the marketing but oftentimes you can't afford not to. Um, you can you could just burn yourself out and, to your point, spend so much time trying to learn all of that yourself and manage it all of yourself. yourself. And there's a cost to your time and uh, an opportunity cost. Now you're not spending time on a valuable part of running your business that you're uniquely suited to do. And so you can find a partner, whether it's someone like a deluxe or it's a college roommate who knows websites well. Or, you know, there's lots of people out there who are also small businesses or big businesses that are that can do those things for you. Do you have any advice as to when you make that decision? Right away. Because um, what we see some of this is doing so often is wearing all of the hats. And if you don't kind of come out of the gates, you know, those first three years as a small business are um, incredibly important uh, for a number of reasons. They're going to help predict a lot of your profitability. It's going to predict, you know, predict whether or not how long you're going to stay afloat. You kind of have to be making sure you have all the right partners at the table right from the get-go because... The great thing about branding and websites and things like search engine optimization and some of these things that that are daunting for small businesses, the great thing about those things is that you can show up big online. You and I could come up with an idea for business today. We could build out a website, have a phenomenal brand, logo, a mark, and we could look just like another business of our kind that's been in business for 20 years or 10 years. So funny you bring that up because... I had a printing and direct mail company, and the brand that we had a friend develop looked like a franchise. It looked like a big business, and it was literally just me and a graphic designer for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, we were at a million and 
a million dollars in sales and outsourcing everything, producing nothing, really. It was just concepts, right, and sales. Um, but you really can own a piece of that real estate, and you can present in a much bigger fashion, but not if you're showing up at a trade show with a business card that on the back of it says, you know, printed by Vista Prints. Mm-hmm. It just seems like you're not serious about your business. Absolutely. No, and that's why we love helping small businesses with that, because, again, they have a unique skill set for something else and a heart for it in a, such a great way. You need that passion first and foremost. And so there are aspects of your business that are easier to outsource than others. Easier to find, if you run a brick and mortar store, it's easier to find someone to, um, you know, uh, come in and clean your office than it is to figure out how to develop new sales yeah. leads. Uh, if um, it's easier to find someone to come in and help you with the marketing piece, it's easier to find someone to come in and, and help you with your accounting. So again, so that you can get back to not only why you started your business, but you can really focus on how you can uniquely drive your business and thinking about your time as a valuable resource. So let's say I'm a small business. Uh, what social media channels do I need to have and in what order of most importance? This is one of the most common questions we get. So I, another interesting question. I'm, I'm glad yeah, I'm you are asking the common question. Yes. Um, uh, uh, you know your audience well. Um, so it really, again, depends on... Uh, it really depends on the, the kind of business. I mean, we, we talk a lot to different businesses about where is your target market, just like we used to talk about when you were trying to buy a certain magazine or a certain newspaper or a certain TV ad, you know, what where is your audience mm-hmm. actually at? And so Snapchat, for example, isn't going to be right for every brand. Instagram is going to be better suited for other brands, Facebook. Um, so we really first and foremost think about, you know, know where your audience is. And so you can ask yourself that as a small business, say, you know, I know my audience, I know what my target market likes to spend time on, where are they? And then I'm going to double down on those platforms and give yourself permission to not be on all of the platforms. Like if you aren't going to keep, if you're not going to tweet often, like don't develop a Twitter handle, Mm -hmm. you know, don't do that. Or if you do have just it propped up and say, we spend the majority of our time over on Instagram and, and direct them over to there or something like that. But don't feel like you have to be masters of all of the social channels because if your audience isn't spending time there, um, uh, it's not worth it. And once you put up that handle, now you are accountable because we see businesses a lot that we work with on the show um, where they have put up a Facebook page and then they haven't updated it since like 2012. Right. And that sends a whole different message. That's worse than not being on Facebook at all. Um, And so, you know, I think that piece is interesting. Um, I probably didn't mention this, but so the Small Business Revolution used to be, you know, in the the first year, the whole mission has always been to create a movement and do that through storytelling and compel people to support more small businesses and inspire them to do so. But it's evolved. In that first year, we told 100 stories, but now it's evolved into a show where each season we truly make over six key small businesses within small towns. And so within the show, you see a lot of these these common kind of marketing pitfalls come to light because, and part of why we show those in the show is so that other small businesses can watch and say, oh, I'm not alone yeah. <laughs> in, in struggling with that or not knowing that that's how that works. Um, people are wondering if Facebook is dead. What's your opinion on that? I don't think it is, especially based on certain audiences. I mean, if your target is of a certain age and a certain gender, so so Facebook right now skews um, kind of a little bit more popular in like the 40 to 60 year old women. Uh, there's yep. tons of other people on the platform, but that's where we see the majority of kind of the users. Uh, Instagram skews a little bit younger. Um, and then there's other platforms that are starting to emerge that, you know, even Instagram is is too... Um, uh, Unhip. Right. Um, and so I don't think it is. I think I think Facebook and Instagram have ways 
helping you target and reach your audience. So if you think about it less as a user and more as a marketer or a, a business owner who is trying to market their business through those platforms, I have to say social media is a very cost-effective way to dip your toe into advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be, right? You, you, you've spent your career in the media mm-hmm. space. You know how expensive it used to be to have to, you know, commit to we're going to do radio or we're yep. going to do newspaper or we're going to do TV. That was a big deal. You can kind of like for a hundred bucks say like, let's see how this works yeah. and you can tinker with it and they make it easy for you to do that. Um, and so I feel like, I don't feel like Facebook is, is that I think it's evolving and I think it's again, it, Facebook isn't evolving. I should say um, how to use Facebook and what audiences might be appropriate is evolving a bit. Are there social media channels that you think we should be looking for? Like what's new? What's hot? Um, I think uh, right now people love the sense of connection, but I think it's getting even more specific around um, uh, kind of things that you're uniquely interested in. You're, we're seeing kind of people almost remember when like like chat groups first started yep. and people would be in, in these chat groups that were, were kind of identified around kind of a unique interest or area. Lifestyle thing. Lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like people are starting to almost evolve more towards is there a channel that within the functionality of the platform and the way that it has been built is there something that is inherent to that to fitness or health or yeah. cooking or food? Like, I feel like that's what's going to kind of be that next thing. People want certain channels for certain things. When you think about your Instagram, I have people on there that I follow that are, you know, total lady bosses that I admire. I've got, you know, Harry Connick Jr. Cause I think he's the greatest thing ever. I have friends from college. Like it, it's kind of like a mashup of, of things that I'm interested in, but I never go on there because I think to myself, I'm interested in finding out about X more what's going on right now amongst all these things and it can actually be a little distracting at farmers insurance we know every windshield collision has a unique sound beetle bird poop drone seen it covered it click for more we are farmers bum, 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 bum. underwritten by farmers truck fire insurance exchanges and affiliates products not available in every state it's interesting that you say that because just for our radio show weekly dish that's about food we also have a facebook group that is about the instant pot and we have more followers on our facebook group than on our page mm-hmm. our facebook page it's mm-hmm. just cuz because mm-hmm. it's so targeted it's so niche and they always have talked about through all the years of marketing like there's riches and niches right mm-hmm. so i feel like that is really insightful that people are coming together based around their interests or you know there used to be mommy bloggers now will there be the next thing for mommies you know mm-hmm. just using that as a as a niche um how, um, when you think about small businesses, uh, what I just, I want you to just describe the value a small business has in the community, because we talk to a lot of these makers and they're formulating their businesses, but honestly, there is no main street if there isn't local businesses, what does that mean to you when you go into a town and you see like how an entire community can be remade by people participating and supporting small businesses? What I love is that you just like so articulately, as you always do in, in such a great way, just describe the thesis of our entire show. I mean, we are truly trying to prove that if you have a strong small business core, that an entire town can thrive. We believe that small businesses are that vital to their communities and to their neighborhoods. The value that we see and the reason we think that they can do that is because they care about their community. When, they, when they're thinking about growth, growth to them looks like, you know, putting braces on a second kid's teeth mm-hmm. and sponsoring the local little league or the, the um, you know, annual holiday parade. I think in our country we spend, you know, a, 
a little bit of time looking at kind of entrepreneurs in, in kind of a bit of a skewed way. We see the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and we see right. the Elon Musks and um, we see uh, Shark Tank and we see these people who have these ideas and are trying to scale them and become, you know, billionaires. But that's not what the average small business looks like in this country. No. You know, again, the average small business looks like someone who just wants to provide for their family, have what they believe to be work-life balance, give back to their community, be an active member of, of their neighborhood and of their town. And so that's what we love about the Small Business Revolution is we're, we feel like we're telling those stories and re-reminding people of, of again, the value. I mean, when we're so when we're sourcing for the show each season, you know, we ask people to nominate their favorite small mm-hmm. town and um, we narrow it down and then we go and we visit 10 of them. And we find that when we're, we're in the top 20 stage right now for season four, um, when we go and visit those 10 communities, we find that even those 10 communities are on a different trajectory after we leave because there is something about people coming in from the outside and saying, you have something special here. Mm-hmm. You have small businesses that are making right. your town unique. If you don't support them, those things that make your town unique will cease to exist. I mean, think about like Red Wing, Minnesota, right? You don't tell people yeah. you got to come down because our Walmart's the best or, you know, name a chain restaurant. You talk about Josephine's Clothier and you talk about um, the local businesses and the St. James Hotel. Yep. And what what's so great about that is if you if you didn't have those things, um, you would you wouldn't have something to tell people to come visit your town for. And so it's up to the local residents to understand that importance of supporting small businesses, but not just even in small towns in large urban areas too. Um, I'm always amazed when people say like, "Oh man, it's too bad that that such and such closed." I thought they that seemed like a really cute shop, and I'll always ask without trying to be rude, but like, "Oh, how many? When was the last when, time you went?" Exactly. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I never really got in or I went in and browsed once. And it's like, well, I mean, come on, put your money where your mouth is. Like, we got to support them. And the idea, too, and I'm as guilty of this as the next person, so I don't mean to shame anybody. But the idea that some of these small businesses are like warehousing things for us to look at and then we go buy a click, pick and click. Right. So I am a terrible shopper. I hate shopping. I hate, you know, driving and parking and doing all the things that sometimes um, you have to do in the small business community. But I also really understand that my dollar makes a difference in that community. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant battle kind of in my in my inner self mm-hmm. of, you know, yeah, it's really easy to buy a book at Amazon. But then I want to go like I lament that my Barnes and Noble is gone I lament that I don't have a place to have a cup of coffee and browse books mm-hmm. or magazines mm-hmm. and, you know, at the same time pick up some stationery or some games mm-hmm. or whatever. All of our collective behavior means something, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be. I was just talking to someone today about that Wally culture where mm-hmm. you just sit around. You can go from, you know, shop to shop in your cart and never even have to get your fat butt out of the chair. I want there to be... um more movement. I want there to be smaller towns. I want there to be a vibrant Grand Avenue in St. Paul. I want to go to Stillwater and look at all of the different shops. So if you're somebody that that's important to you, I guess just ask yourself. Now, you're not going to do this every day. Sometimes you just need diapers and you're in a hurry or whatever. But the small businesses in our community and the makers that we support really are the fabric of what makes up a town and what makes like you know, you hear some of these people talking about advancing how to when they're going to hire their first employee. Right. That's the biggest. I think that is the biggest challenge for small businesses. Like, when do you start to add staff? Is there a formula for that? 
Uh, it really, it, it well, it's a financial formula, and that's why knowing your numbers is so important because then you can really see the metrics of if I had someone else to do these pieces, then I could contribute over here more, which would increase our bottom line here. And so that, again, without looking at a specific small business's numbers, that's the, it, it's all math. It's really Can you look at those out. numbers and decide like, okay, it makes more sense for you, Mary, to hire someone than it does to pay yourself? I, I, yes, but it, it has taken... Um, not just training, but it takes a, an affinity for the value of knowing those numbers. Because I know when I help a small business with that, you know, you're helping someone realize their dream. I mean, I love what you were just saying about supporting makers, and, and that was beautifully said. Um, but when you're when you're supporting a small business, again, it's not just about those dollars staying local and in that community, and that is vital and so important. And I'm obviously living my whole life making sure that that, that is my truth right now. But it's also about, like, the individual person. Like, you're helping someone realize their dream. Dream. Like, yeah, that is so huge. Like, um, and there's something so rewarding about that. I just think we're all on this planet to make each other's lives better in whatever form that is. And if you're helping someone live that every day, I mean, that's that's huge. And I think sometimes we only think about that in terms of like a handout or, or a donation. But if you're helping someone, you know, earn that dollar in a way that um, is honoring to them, that's incredible. And to shine the light. Yeah. Like yes. it takes... A really special person to be able to, you know, you look in the mirror every day at yourself and your behavior and your actions. But if you ever have the opportunity to turn that uh, mirror outward Mm -hmm. and to shine that light on other businesses or other opportunities or other people doing good work. I also think that when we talk about kind of um, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't mean you specifically, but your, your listeners and you yourself, I don't want people to feel guilty when they succumb to convenience. Instead, I think that's a challenge to small businesses. Like, how are you making it easier for people to buy your products? Um, All competition is good competition. Amazon and online retailers are not going away. So how are you going to make it easier? I just met with a jeweler or met this wonderful, beautiful woman who makes this incredible jewelry. And I wanted to buy everything, but I was in a hurry and I didn't, she didn't, I didn't have time to select all the things. Right. So we can find it on my website. I said, great. I said, I already can see five things I'm going to buy. She goes, oh, well, you can't buy on my website, or I don't really have that, so I'll, I'll send you the next time I'm going to be at a show, which sounds great, but that, but I hope I can make it to that next show, but if there if there was an e-commerce platform or a way that you can make yeah, that Yeah, she work, just lost a sale. Yeah, so, so you got to figure out, instead of thinking about online retailers as the enemy, think about how they're going to, you know, spur you to be better and to be more competitive, because not everybody wants to stop and browse at a brick and mortar, and even if brick and mortar is important to you, how else are you making your product available? That's what these big guys have figured out right. is multiple distribution paths. The the second thing I would say is we all have to just admit that there's certain things that are just commodities. Like I really care about small businesses, but like I $1, well, I'll pay like $1 more for my toothpaste, but like $2, like if, if I can right. buy my toothpaste and it's an easy cart transaction and I have a way it comes to my house, like that doesn't feel like I have a story every time I look at my toothpaste that I supported a local pharmacy. Now, every time I look at a beautiful pair of earrings or I go out to eat with some friends or or I think about a gift I got my mother-in-law that I see on her mantle and I remember the story of where I got it, like those are the things that, that are, right. you know, so there are just some businesses that just aren't going to be viable moving forward. And I think we also just have to recognize the cycles of retail and just know that, that, you know, toilet paper might not be the small business purchase of the future, that you can't compete on toilet paper pricing, but you know, those online retailers can't recreate your handcrafted jewelry or your leather yeah. made bag. I, I love the way that you just said that. I love the way you just said that. What's so funny to me, and I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but 
um, Chef Eric Harsey is creating a, well, bringing back to life a hundred-year-old store called Leatherman's. And I was thinking about the Pioneer Woman, and she's in this small town, and she's bringing, like, the general store back. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. this idea of what do you want your general store to be? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe you don't want it to sell you a toilet paper. Maybe you want that exclusive feeling and experience Mm -hmm. of curated items that Mm -hmm. they have picked specifically for you because you like them and they're a tastemaker. Yeah, that's what you get when you walk into a small business. It's you know, I um, spoke recently at uh, the Minnesota Retailers Conference, and we were, I was talking about lessons that we've learned um, working with retailers um, that we featured on the show uh-huh. and the recurring themes. And the one thing I, I, I really hammered was, like, don't try and compete on price and lean into your differentiator, which is you, and it's your personalized service, and it's the curation, and it's the knowing your audience in a way that data at these big box stores and that these online retailers can never replace. I mean, they, they can make purchase decisions that are almost creepy or purchase recommendations that are almost yeah. creepy that they know that I need that or would want that when I'm buying something online. But that can't replace when, you know, Susan says, I remember last time you were in, you were looking at this and I I got this in and I thought of and you. And that feeling. Right? Like when Amazon never says, I thought of you yeah. <laughs> when I recommended this. And um, so, so that's something that you have to really, then you have to own that. You have to really work hard to make those connections with your customers and you can't, you know, you, you have to know that that's your differentiator. And so like any business, you lean into that differentiator right. and you really maximize it. The second affirming thing I wanted to say to you was you do, I mean, you do amazing things for like the local, I'm going to catch up, for the local business, <laughs> like restaurant community. You're so cute. No, I mean, seriously, through your radio show, through your advocacy, through your like daily life and how you behave as like a local food connoisseur, you are such an advocate for eating local and these great chefs and everyone with in those restaurants and that is one of the whenever we're encouraging people to support small businesses that's the number one thing we point to like everyone has to eat and everyone goes out with friends like always pick a small business every time like yeah. there you go like that's that's a, that's the easiest and quickest way to get more small business in your life about it in that way oh my gosh you are a huge small business supporter just because of how much you eat. i eat out oh. i guarantee <laughs> you my people are gonna find this actually this is i'm i'm gonna tell you and it's December, and I'm going to get to the end of the month, and I get my statement about how much money I spent on food. I think last year I spent like $22,000 on eating out. <laughs> and that's like eating there out and go. drinking. Um, but, yeah, so I guess if I look at it that way, I'm like a massive supporter. Yes. So maybe you're not going in and buying like every last blouse at a small yeah. business boutique, but you are – Supporting these restaurants, so I think people just kind of have to something. People just have to have to kind of pick their area, and then you start to kind of see it creep in. I think another great way to get more small business support in your life is just to think about gifts. Like it's hard sometimes to uh, to think to yourself, "I'm going to go and shop and buy something for me." But if you're specifically looking for a gift for someone, there's nothing like when they're unwrapping it and you say, "Oh yes." You know, I met Kendra. She made those yeah. that bracelet, and um, she's got two young girls at home, and she's showing. Like, there's always a story when you support an entrepreneur or a small business, and sometimes you are buying those through online channels or through big boxes. But when you know that there's a story to that small business, that's when it's really special. It hits home. Um, are there books or magazines or things that you recommend for small business people as we wrap up here? Like, if someone walks away listening to this. That they can, like, I can do that. I can subscribe mm-hmm. to that newsletter or something that's actionable. 
for them to learn more about what they do? Um, I think uh, they should tell more friends to listen to this podcast for sure, right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and the, sec- the second podcast I would think are great. And I think podcasts are great because a lot of times you can do them while you're doing other things, yep. while you're cleaning, while you're cooking, while you're driving, exercising. Um, the second podcast I really, really love is How I Built This. Yeah, uh, that's Guy Raz such a is great one. Like so phenomenal. And what I love about How I Built This is that he interviews these, you know, incredible entrepreneurs who are now, you know, or CEOs who are founders. And, you know, Sarah Blakely of Spanx, for example, yep. and goes all the way back in time to hear the story from the beginning. And what I love about it is none of the stories start with, well, my dad left me $100,000 and I started this and I had an idea after I graduated from Harvard and I started this business. You know, like none of them are easy yeah. origin stories, first of all. And then second, it proves to you how much hustle it takes. So when you look at some of these incredibly successful people, you it looks easy. And when you hear that, you know, the guy who started Sam Adams for two years would go door to door, bar to bar in Boston with a six pack in his briefcase and, and, and try and convince bartenders to try his beer. You know, when you mm-hmm. hear that, you're like, oh man, then my two years of the slog are going to be worth it. Like there's, and so that's what I love about that podcast. They're not just interesting stories. They're affirming to entrepreneurs. Like everybody has had to hustle and has had a slog and has had ups and downs, even these super successful people. So my struggle is real, but it's worth it. I think too, people like think about your business. Like I'll be honest, sometimes it's a hobby for people. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the hustle, mm-hmm. then it's a hobby, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But do you need another hobby, or are you better off working at someone else's business that they have the hustle? Like, what does that look like for you? Not everyone is supposed to be a small business person. Mm-hmm. You can use a lot of uh, a lot of your capital and a lot of money mm-hmm. making these mistakes, and then getting to the end of it and realizing, wow, this really isn't what I'm jazzed about. It was a fun hobby, but maybe that hobby wasn't going to be a viable business. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a piece of advice that hinges on that that I really want to say, but I want please. I, I would be remiss if I left this resource question without um, at least talking about how I think our show is also a great resource. Yeah. So the Small Business Revolution Main Street, the show um, that I host and that we've been talking about. Again, each season we revitalize a different small town's main street and we work with an individual small business. And so in each episode, and so what I feel like it, it's um, been described as kind of like a makeover show with heart. Yep. But you can't watch one of these episodes and not walk away with actionable things that you could implement in your business. But they're inspiring stories. It's emotional. It's like a really uh, um, wonderful way to learn. People watch it with their families. So anyway, yep. you can watch on Hulu or it streams online at smallbusinessrevolution.org. But we get a lot of small businesses that say that they learn a lot from it, but yet felt affirmed and seen within yeah. the series. Like, oh, God, other people are struggling with this. Um, okay, so the other thing that you just said that, that started for me, whenever people, you know, the side hustle is a big deal mm-hmm. right now or the side gig, you know, you might work at a big corporation or have a full-time job, but you're starting to dabble in jewelry making mm-hmm. or um, making your own cream cheese or, or something on the side. Um, and people are always like, well, how do I know when to make that leap? And one of the things that, that I have seen, and this is just my own opinion, um, but if you think about what you're going to need for at least that first year, if not three, but if you can save what you would want to be paying yourself for a year while you're in that full-time job, you will almost instantly relieve a lot of pressure off of your business. It will still be hard. You will still not make any money that first year. Um, but if you aren't suddenly, you know, leaving this big full-time role with health insurance for the great unknown, if you have taken care of yourself and saved up 
for your living expenses, not maybe your salary, what you were making, right. like, who can save up the whole year, your salary, but what would your living expenses be? Then suddenly you take some of that pressure off where it's not about rent or buying a social supplies, media ad yeah. or supplies or hiring someone. It's suddenly about what do I, you know, you still have to think about capital and, and, and making sure you have the money for your business. But if you yourself as an individual are protected by having pre-saved something, I feel like that can be a huge key to knowing, you know, protecting yourself that first year. All right. And we're going to leave it there because that is really great advice. Thank you, Amanda Brinkman, for joining me on the Makers of Minnesota. Great Thank advice. for having me. Wrap me in bacon. Wrap him in bacon. And pour bacon crumbles on my head. Pour bacon crumbles on his head. Now that I think of it, I'll just go to Little Caesars. So go to Little Caesars. Get a bacon wrap deep, deep dish pizza instead. Get a bacon wrap deep, deep dish pizza instead. Get a Little Caesars large, hot and ready bacon wrap deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza wrapped in over three and a half feet of bacon for just 12 bucks at participating locations plus tax. Pizza, pizza. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. An F-16 pilot having hydraulic problems with his aircraft managed to parachute to safety as the plane smashed into a warehouse east of Los Angeles. Fire Captain Fernando Herrera. That pilot landed in the uh, March Air Force Base area. In the base itself. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries after the plane hit the building. Alabama executed a man last night for his role in killing four people after an argument over a pickup truck. Tennessee executed a man who killed his wife. Reporters couldn't see the execution, but AP correspondent Travis Lawler says... We could hear sounds, uh, including a singing that uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's attorney says was him singing a hymn. Answering a reporter's question, President Trump said he hopes the U.S. is not on a path to war with Iran. Mr. Trump has dismissed suggestions that any of his advisors are trying to push him into a conflict. I'm Rita Foley.